0: Life Center. It's good to see everybody here today. If you're a guest of ours, welcome. Thank you for choosing to be with us today. i um, glad to see my friend over here, DJ. Good to see you, man. <laughs> so um, if, you're, if you're first time jumping in today, we've been a, oh, on the uh, path for the last few weeks of talking about big church. And um, when we started this whole thing off, It was we're kind of setting a tone, right? We're setting a stage for the reason um, why church exists, basically. And instead of looking at it from from a historical perspective or from kind of uh, I, I don't know if you remember the first week we talked about it when I said the word church, I kind of we talked about the things that we think about that when we think about church, right? So. So all of these things, we're, we're taking time to unpack it because it's important that in the day that we live in now that we understand what the church is because it's, it's been generations, thousands of years since Jesus had a conversation with his disciples and used the word church or ecclesia, right? And so things have changed. So we've been talking about that. We talked about how when the disciples... When Jesus left, they started doing their work of spreading the good news of Jesus Christ, how they came under persecution. They started praying bold prayers, and their prayers were very different than how we pray today, right? They were praying, I'm not worried about the persecution, just do amazing things so that people will believe. So we talked about bold prayers, and last week, Pastor Scott unpacked something that was very, very interesting, and if you just took that snapshot, you might not have made the dots connect, but I'll help you connect them today. He talked about the drift, the big drift that happens whenever, from the time when Jesus set up his work of spreading the gospel and the resurrection and the burial and the life of Jesus and what that means, the hope of the gospel, to today, man has gotten involved in it, and there we've, we've invented something called religion, and there was a huge drift that happened from where Jesus started To where we are today, and so we unpacked that a little bit, and today, I'm going to take it one step deeper, go one step further, and it's bringing it closer to home, and really, it's the question that I want to ask, does the church really matter? Does the church really matter? And even one step deeper than that is, does my role or my being a part of the church, does that really matter? And so keep that in mind when we start digging in this today. Because this is where this week and next week when we wrap things up, this is where we pull all of this together and the reason why we've been spending some time talking about what big church is. So does church really matter? Does my part in church really matter? What has the church done to impact our world? What is the impact that the church has had? And I believe that the church has big answers to big questions and whether or not, Um, society acknowledges it, whether or not people acknowledge it or realize realize it, the message of Jesus Christ is the answer to the question. If someone's trying to find their purpose in life, he's the one that can give purpose in life. If you're trying to figure out the meaning of life, he's the one that brings meaning to life. The church is managing or stewarding these answers, and it's our job to share that message with our communities, with other people so that they can, too, understand the value of what the message of Jesus brings. And, and what I really, what really um, kind of, uh, I hadn't really thought about it until I was really studying this message, but the impact, the cultural impact that the church has had in our world. And so I did a little research and there was a gentleman by the name of David Eichmann, who was formerly the Beijing bureau chief of Time magazine? So he was stationed there for years and he did a lot of research. And, and he actually interviewed um, a Chinese social scientist who was indoctrinated in, indoctrinated in Maoism. And he had been studying in the West. And, and he, he gave this quote In 2009, the human rights organization Freedom Watch certified 89 countries as free countries. In other words, similar to America, where we have civil liberties and freedoms. And he said, of those 89, 81 of them were predominantly or historically Christian. So what what we're showing you here and what we're looking at is there's a tie between the the Christian fundamentals and freedom that we experience in today's society in 89 of these uh, these countries, 81 of the 89 countries. Uh, One of our founding fathers, John Adams, said this, Human passions unbridled by morality and religion would break the strongest cords of our constitution like a whale that goes through a net. So what the the connection here is, what impact does Christianity have in society? And I would wager and venture to say that it has everything to do with the freedoms that we know and experience. And for example, we're all Americans. We're living in this country, so let's talk about this country, the, the freedoms that we experience here. But there's a bit of a, there's a, bit of a misconception or a breakdown, and we tend, the average person tend to believe, tends to believe that it's human nature that informs our conscience and our values. Human nature, uh, from that we derive good morals, good conscience, good values. But I would argue that point. I would argue that point. If you look at nature, uh, the word nature or natural is of nature. Nature itself is not good, (laughs) right? I believe that at one point when God created the heavens and the earth, he did create a place of perfection. But once sin entered and the deal was broken and everything changed at that point, Nature itself is not good. Nature is violent. It's unfair. It's without compassion. Tornadoes, tsunamis... Earthquakes—it doesn't matter what zone or zip code they hit; they just hit, right? It can hit a trailer park or it can hit nice condos. It doesn't really matter. There's no, there's no determining or there's no well, we're going to miss this zip code and we're going to hit the low-income zip codes. Nature is just nature. It has, it's, it's unbridled. It has no compassion, no concern. It just does what it does. Uh, the animal kingdom—you study the animal kingdom—the the only the strong survive. Truly, so. Uh, my, my grandson's been hanging out with me a little bit, which is the greatest thing in the world. If you don't have one, you should get one, a grandson. Uh, <laughs> so, so he was at my house, and, and any time that he stays with us long enough that it's sort of bedtime, if you know my grandson, he's full of lots of energy. And so... And so the bedtime thing, it's kind of like landing a 747. You need lots of runway, right? Lots of slowing this thing down. So he loves animals. So we've been watching uh, on Netflix. We've been watching BBC's Our Planet. Great show. Fantastic show. And, and, they, and we were looking at, at one just, uh, this was Thursday night, and uh, we came across the Shoebill Stork. It looks like something from Jurassic Park. It is the oddest creature uh, that you can imagine it 's a huge bird there 's a picture of a person next to one, and i 'm telling you the thing stands like this tall awkward looking critter at any rate, there was this particular uh, shoebill stork that they had they had uh, found it had two babies, and one of the babies was weaker than the other, and so uh, the, this is in, this is in Africa in a rather drier part of africa and so this stork has to go to water, fill up its bill, and bring it back to bring water and food to the young. So it's an odd-looking thing. I mean, that's, that's an animated movie waiting to happen, right? I mean, I can imagine the voice and everything, right? <laughs> Too many Disney movies. Uh, so so this, uh, the mother leaves the, the, the nest where the young are. One of them is clearly weaker, one's stronger. And so the mother's gone, and the camera catches all this. The, the, more, the, the stronger of the two starts to harass the younger and like peck at him and beat on him. And the younger kind of waddles out of the place. It's not really a nest. They just have a place where they, they under a shrub that they, they, they are born. And so he wanders off and he's been abused by his sibling. And so the mom comes back and the, mom, and the camera catches everything. It's amazing. The mom first gets to the weakened, broken bird, you know, and he's all sad. And, you know, Bubba's been picking on me while you were gone and all this stuff. And interestingly enough, The parent observes the weak child, walks right over the weak child to the strong child, and gives them all the water and all the food. Nature does not share our compassion. That one was weak, only the strong survive, right? So basically, that bird had a fate of starving to death, while the other sibling was nurtured and created to to be strong and be able to survive. My point in saying this is our conscience for good does not come from nature or a natural tendency. And if you don't believe that, watch the news. Right? Murder, racism, hatred, bigotry, cheating, sex trafficking, drug addiction, drug abuse, all of these things are not some, you know, What is wrong with those few people in society? No, the real deal is the human nature is broken. It is flawed. And nature itself shows us that only the strong survive. When's the last time, you know, the lion was chasing the weak little antelope and thought, it's so cute. I think I'll just get a different one. It's not how it works. And Paul made an, he he unpacked this in Galatians, and we'll walk through this A little bit together. Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 16. Paul is writing here to, to the church and he's telling them this. He said, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. And here's the thing to pay attention to. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. So Paul is identifying something here. What he's identifying is we are flawed. And it's not just our good nature that's going to make us be the kind of people that Christ wants us to be, the kind of people that he designed when he made the first man and the first woman. And so Paul is addressing this. I mean, if you, don't, if you question whether or not we're innate, uh, we're good naturally, if you have, how many have kids? That'll change your mind, right? You don't have to teach a kid. My little grandson, he's cute as a button. Lord. (laughs) He's a fireball. And you don't have to teach a kid how not to share. You don't have to teach a child how not to say no. You don't have to teach a child how to be disobedient. It's just in them. In fact, for the next 18 years, my son and daughter-in-law have a lot of work cut out for them because they've got to change all that. So we're born broken like that. And so in verse 19, he talks more. He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, there's that word again, the results are very clear. And I love the way Paul writes this because he just just makes a list of all the unbridled passions that people have inside of them. And he starts talking about, he's like, the results of unchecked behavior look like this. Sexual immorality, impurity, Lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst, uh, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, and wild parties. I love how he throws wild parties in there. <laughs> Basically, what he's saying is, other sins like this. This is just what happens when we are just left to our own devices and our own plans and our own no checks and balances. Right? It's always interesting to me. You hear these stories, certain group of people together, and you know, just that group of people, they're pushing the envelope. But then they introduce alcohol. <laughs> I never have figured that out. Then you get things like uh, on the news in, in Kentucky, there was a dude that was arrested because he was shooting beer cans off of his buddy's head with a bow and arrow. That's what happens when you take stupid and you put alcohol with it. It just—it doesn't end well, right? The point is, what does alcohol do to us, right? Substances—they—they they break down our inhibitions. Some people definitely don't need that. <laughs> they need a whole lot of Jesus. Some of y'all need Jesus, right? So Paul's talking about this, but then he goes on further. He says. In verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces something different. This, remember, we're talking about the comparison between our natural tendencies versus what God does for us, what the Holy Spirit does in us. You see, when the Holy Spirit, we talked about this in the first uh, week of this, uh, this series, about the day, what we've referred to as the day of Pentecost, the birth of the church. They were all, the disciples were together in one room, and the Holy Spirit came in. And then they begin to speak in different languages, and people around them were listening, their minds blown, and and thousands of people were added to the church that day, and there was just this explosion of the Holy Spirit. So at the birth of the ecclesia, at the birth of the church that Jesus designed, and that Jesus had in his mind and in his vision, that birth, that Holy Spirit that was there then is here now. And when it begins to work in us, this is what Paul's talking about. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I love how he wraps it up. He says, there is no law against these things. In other words, have you ever met someone that just has too much (laughs) self-control? Have you ever met someone that's just too kind? I mean, when's the last time you're like, that person is just so nice, they're driving me crazy? I think there's a phrase called, or a saying called, kill them with kindness. Right. In other words, there's no rebuttal for self-control, for temperance, for long suffering. There's just no rebuttal to that. What he is showing us here, and Paul unpacks this in several different places in the New Testament about how left to our own our own will, we cannot fight the fight of good and evil because we're naturally broken. We are naturally evil. Look at your neighbor, and don't say that to them. (laughs) We're naturally evil. And if it's not the Holy Spirit working in us to change us, then what are the checks and balances that are in our life? That's why when you look at, at the studies, 89 countries considered free, 81 of them are predominantly Christian influenced. It's because this message that Jesus portrayed is still impacting the world today. Right? It's still influencing our world today. And in our society we live in now, we're seeing that being stretched probably more than it ever has been stretched. And we're questioning what will happen if all of a sudden that underpinning is gone. What will it look like? I believe there's a better way. I believe the Christian way. And I'm not, understand, I'm not talking about religion when I say Christian. When I'm talking about Christianity, I'm talking about Christ followers, people that are attempting their best to emulate what Jesus was, emulate the teachings. When he said, turn the other cheek, trying to do that, that one's really hard. When he talks about forgiveness, trying to do that, that one's really hard. If you've ever been mistreated, forgiveness is not a word you want to talk about. Judgment is so much more rewarding, is it not? But that is not what Christianity is about. And I believe Christianity is superior. The message of the church is superior than the message of nature. You don't have to be the strongest to survive when it comes to Christianity and walking with Christ. But nature teaches something very different. Nature does not teach forgiveness, grace, compassion, and generosity. That's what Christianity teaches. And that impacts people's lives. When is the last time you've been the recipient of generosity and it has not impacted you in some way very positively? Every time. And if you're the person being generous, it impacts your life because these are things that God created and they were really wrapped into our fiber, but sin broke us down. And now the Holy Spirit is knitting us back together and making us new like we're supposed to be but we still live in a world that's broken. We still push against a nature that is not a good nature, but the Holy Spirit empowers us to overcome. I believe the message of the church is superior to culture and to society. In Jesus' day, it was definitely better than the Roman way where might was right, where the strong survived. Jesus said, if you're asked to carry a a load, because back in those days, the Romans could grab any person and say, I need you to carry this for me, carry it. And the Jews were like, I don't want to live under that anymore. And so, Jesus, Mr. Messiah guy, we need to break this Roman curse that's on us. And Jesus says, You're right, we do. But if you're asked to carry that load for a mile, go ahead and carry it too. Yeah, right? There's not one of us breathing here today (laughs) that that does not strike a chord with, (laughs) it hits us all. It's better than the Grecian style of living where there was a hierarchy of society and who you were and all of that. It's better than our modern cultures where race determines survival. Where lives of males are valued higher than females. That's not like that in our country. We're not talking just about our country, are we? We're talking about the world. Where children are sold into slavery, yes, slavery still happens. Where gangs in the inner cities determine the trajectory of a young man's future. I'm telling you, Christianity is a better way of life than what the world can offer us today. The message of Jesus must continue. Hear this. Is the church important? Remember, we asked that question. Is your role in the church important? The message of Christianity must continue to shape the culture of this great country. It has to. Does that mean grab a sign and stand on the street corner with a megaphone and yell at people? No, that's not what it means. In fact, most of the bad rap that Christianity gets is from people doing things like that that don't produce any value. They just make a lot of noise and cause people to pick a side. Jesus Jesus changed his world in an ever so quiet way. There's never an instance that's captured in Scripture. Watch this. There's never an instance captured in Scripture where Jesus goes toe-to-toe with some anger involved with unbelievers. There's a couple of accounts where he he interchanged with Romans. One Roman centurion came to him and said, My servant is really sick. He's going to die. I've heard about you and I know you can heal him. And Jesus says, Let's go to your house. He's like, No, 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 no. I'm a Roman. You can't come to my house. You're a Jew. All you have to do is say for him to be healed, and he'll be healed. And Jesus stops everything at that moment and says, To all the Jews that hated Rome, I haven't found this much faith in all of Israel. Talk about, I mean, that's a classic slap in the face. You don't find Jesus having issue with unbelievers. The only time you find Jesus losing his temper, as we would call it, is when he's in the temple. Is it church. Now, I can lose my temper at church, y'all. just... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus is in the temple, and the reason why he gets so angry, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but quickly, the temple was the center of the, of the economic uh, omniverse that was the Jewish tradition in the Jewish world. They had their own currency. They had everything. They were their own government. And so when Jews that came to, to the Jewish traditional... Uh, festives, festivals that they attended to They would come and travel to Jerusalem They would go to the temple And they would take their hard-earned money From another land And they would have to exchange their money In the temple To get the right kind of money To buy a lamb Because their sacrifice wasn't good enough Because get this Talk about, talk about organizational conflict of interest The guys that got to inspect your offering Were the same ones that were selling offerings I mean, talk about a business model not to be reckoned with, right? 100% profit everywhere you look. Ah, yes, you have money, but you know what? You're going to have to get our money, and there is a small exchange fee for that. So when Jesus gets angry, he gets angry because religion tried to dominate his relationship with people. You with me? The church, Christianity, is not religion. So, make that separation in your mind because when we're talking about big church, we're talking about the church that Jesus envisioned when he talked about people understanding what freedom the Holy Spirit brings to their lives. That's the church. We're talking about. The message of Jesus must continue to shape our culture. How do I do that? You do it by living it out every single day. You do it by sitting at the dinner table with your family, closing your eyes, and thanking God for the meal that's on your table. And your children are watching, they're observing, they're realizing there's something bigger than me, there's something greater than myself. You do that by in your workplace being a light, showing what it looks like to be forgiving, showing what it looks like to let the the love of God shine through you, showing what it looks like to not be the same as everyone else in the way you treat other people, that is what is influencing our country and our nation, and given the giving them moment to vote those conscience things that we have, do so because it's affecting our world. And we have an obligation to do that because we are Christian people. We are Christ followers. We're pursuing Christ. We're letting the Holy Spirit turn our anger into forgiveness. We're allowing Him to turn our lack of self-control into self-control by allowing Him to work in us. This is the message of the big church. And it's the message that has to happen in our homes and in our communities at large. Every person... Every single person is made in the image of God. Every, the next time you're ready to do the one-finger wave at somebody because they cut you off in traffic, take a look at that person and realize that's an image bearer. They may not realize it, but they were made in the image of God. Talk about changing your attitude a little bit. Yeah. The powerful should never lord over the powerless, but rather Jesus teaches that the powerful should serve the powerless. Right? We don't have to self-promote. We let Jesus shine through us and watch how the world can change. Forgive, not because it's the right thing to do and the only thing to do. Forgive because you've experienced forgiveness. Give that gift to somebody else because you've tasted what it's like to go to bed at night without feeling the shame and guilt of things you've done wrong in your life. Forgiveness is a gift that the only people that can truly give it are the ones that have truly experienced it. Don't be selfish with forgiveness. Just give it away. Give to those that can't give back. Because society teaches the strong survive. Society teaches, oh, be compassionate, be generous, but make sure it's not cutting into anything of yours. I always find it ironic that people that are multi, multi, millionaires, billionaires are suddenly touted as philanthropists because they give so much away. It's a wonderful thing, but I would venture to say it doesn't hurt them at all. And... To use the example that Jesus did when they were at the temple and people were bringing the offering, there was one little widow lady that dropped what would be the equivalent of like a penny of ours into the plate. Meanwhile, there were people putting big bills in, you know, some bennies, dropping them in the plate, you know, making it look good. Everybody watch me. I'm going to pull out five of these. (laughs) Watching? It was a big deal. It was a show. Jesus with the disciples, he sees the little lady slip up and just drop her little penny in the dish and keep moving. And he says to his disciples, that woman has given more than anyone in this room. And naturally, naturally, our mind is, that's not true. I just watched that guy drop some serious coin in that box. And Jesus explains for those people, giving from their abundance is nothing. But giving from everything is everything. So give to those that can't give back because he's the one that's keeping the books anyway. Right? That's, that's what's making the difference in our world. It's when we do the things that society says you don't have to do or you shouldn't do. That's what being a Christian looks like. That's what being a, what being a Christ follower looks like. Husbands, we're directed to love our wives sacrificially. I mean, in Ephesians it says, Love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. I mean, there's no plan B there. It's pretty straightforward. If we're, gonna, if we're going to demonstrate to our family what the love of Christ looks like, we have to demonstrate what that love looks like. Sex is reserved for marriage because it's not just a physical transaction. It's designed to be the consummation of a covenant and a union. That's why we don't throw it around loose, loosely. We live in a world that's teaching us about tolerance, tolerating everything. But I would venture to say that tolerance is not enough. Love is the answer. You don't tolerate, you love through the brokenness. It's difficult. And I'm not gonna stand here and act like it's easy to love when things are, and people are unlovable but it's still the right thing to do and it is still shaping our culture. It's still impacting our nation one person at a time. It is our obligation and job to stand up for those that don't have a voice, for the unborn child. I can't believe that our society has reached a point where we have this late-term abortion. And what really blows my mind is the same people that will promote that we'll put you in jail if you don't feed your dog. So I'm there's a who is who is the voice for those that are being sold into slavery, for those that are being being taken out of this life without an opportunity. The church, Christians big church, the ecclesia, the people that Christ called to demonstrate who he is in this earth. We have got to stand for what we believe and it's not obnoxious. It's living it out. It's living it out. What would happen What would happen if this force for good was suddenly eradicated from the earth? What would it look like if you and I, people that pray and people that ask God to guide our leadership and people that pray for our neighbors and people that love people and people that give, what would happen if we were removed from the equation? I don't think we have to wonder. I think history tells us exactly what it looks like. Look at Adolf Hitler's Germany the eradication of an entire race, the attempted eradication of an entire race of people. And if you study it, you will find it wasn't just Jewish people. It was anyone that was different. Homosexuals, people that were of a different bloodline. Gypsies were just as mistreated and abused as the Jews were. All, it was, a, it was a cl- an ethnic cleansing. How I read a book recently, and they, they developed what they called death squads. They would literally go to locations... And they had vans that were mobile gas chambers. But the death squads did not have enough vehicles to eradicate the masses of people. So they used those and they used mass graves with just mass executions just because the people were different. That happened. I grew up in a country of Nigeria. Tribal conflict in that country was intense and it would ebb and flow with whoever the leadership was. And I remember there was two particular tribes that were at war almost constantly. And literally, they would walk up to a person and if they could not respond in the right language, they would just kill them. Anyone could. Just murder just because you're a different kind of person than I am. That's what would happen if you removed the influence that the church, the ecclesia has on our world. And you are a part of what that is. You are a part of what that is. Worship team, you guys can come. So I ask you again, does the church really matter? Why are we spending five weeks talking about big church, unpacking what we believe the Bible says and what we believe Jesus meant when he gathered that group of disciples together that day and he asked them, who do you say that I am? And they just kind of rattled off things they'd been hearing the neighborhood say. And then Peter, he just boldly says, I believe you're the Christ. I believe you're the Messiah. I believe you are the the Son of God. And Jesus looks at him the first time this word had been used that's been captured in Scripture. And he said, Peter, upon that foundation, I'm going to build my ecclesia. I'm going to build a church that the gates of hell will not be able to squash, they will not be able to resist, they will not be able to hold in prison. You know that in, in behind the Iron Curtain in China exists the largest group of Christian people in the world, in a place where they can't gather like this and openly profess their faith in Christ. I'm telling you, nothing will ever stop the big church that Jesus built And paid for with His own blood, and you and I are part of that thing. So don't just think, "Well, I'm going to go to church, check that off my Sunday to-do list at the corner of Marlin and Mirth, see a few people I like, and then go back to my life." Because that's a good thing to do, and it makes me feel good and warm and fuzzy and happy. No, you are in the matter. You are a part of a, a group of warriors that are fighting to push back the darkness. And every time you let your light shine, you are driving back darkness one more day, one more time, giving one more person an opportunity to experience Jesus Christ. Every day, we turn the other cheek. Every day, we we extend forgiveness. Every day, we give to someone that can't give back. Every day, we speak a word of kindness and encouragement. We're letting the Holy Spirit build up in us, and we are shining a light into our communities, and it's making a difference. It's changing our world. We're stewarding one of the greatest messages that the world has ever seen. Stand with me this morning. You are part of big church. You're part of something that is eternal. You're making a difference every single day in the life of somebody that's watching you. Father, we thank you for your presence that's here today. I thank you, God, that, that you pay the ultimate price that we could be redeemed. That we could experience what it's like to live under a different law. And God, help us to realize that every day we live and let the fruit of the Spirit work in us, be part of who we are. That it's driving back the forces of darkness, one person at a time, one day at a time. I pray, God, that you would give us strength to continue to fight. And push, God, for everything that is good and noble and pure and everything that is who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.